Do you love the X-Men movies? What about the comics? Did you sit on the living room floor wrapped in a blanket eating cereal when the X-Men cartoons were on? Now's your chance to join my co-hosts and I as we dissect the movies chapter by chapter. We'll talk comics, cartoons, and video games. If it's even tangentially related to the X-Men, we'll be talking about it. So come join us and our outstanding guests as we traverse the many X-Men universes. Find us at xminutespodcast.com or a podcatcher of your choice by searching for X Minutes Podcast. Excelsior! That's a growler. Welcome back to Beauty and the Beastly Minute, the podcast where we break down and analyze Beauty and the Beast, one angry mob at a time. I'm Bobby from Growler Media. And I'm Carrie from the LDS Dating Podcast. And we are your hosts for Beauty and the Beastly Minute. And today, today we are excited because we have a special guest with us, good friend of the podcast and the network, Thomas Howith. I'm Thomas Howarth, also from Growler Media. (laughs) (laughs) Yay! Tell the folks what you do, Thomas. All right. Well, uh, when I started with Growler Media, I took on the project to do NeverEnding Minute, which was analyzing the NeverEnding story one minute at a time. Nice family-friendly movie that was a childhood favorite of mine. It went rather well. I did that with Tierney Steele, and we just recently concluded the movie, and we also got to do a great episode where we interviewed Tammy Stronach, the childlike empress, which was fantastic. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I started my own separate project with a couple friends of mine, and it's called The X Minutes, where we analyze the X-Men movies one scene at a time. And my two co-hosts, Steve and Jerry, are both comic aficionados and they keep me in check because i don't know that much about the comics but i know a lot about the (laughs) movies so so i bring in the other angle of it and it works out pretty well for us but uh we're having a good time over there we just got to interview the screenplay writer and that was fantastic so things are going good there and we have some great shows producing some fantastic content yeah it's a lot of fun i kind of like that y'all are breaking it down by scene i mean i love the movies by minute thing obviously but it's kind of nice to get like the whole scene at once and you don't you're not hanging exactly (laughs) we were hoping to get a couple bigger guests for this and we didn't want to limit them to just one minute so Mm -hmm. we decided to go for the whole scene by scene because it makes makes it flow a little bit better for conversation yeah yeah. Well, and uh, one of the funny things is we, we finally have you on this podcast. <laughs> and <laughs> when you started Never Ending Minute, Beastly Minute had already been going for a while. And we're like, hey, you got to come on Beastly Minute. And then we went from five times a week to releasing an episode once a week. And so y'all like blew past us and finished Never Ending Minute. And now you're like on your next podcast and we're finally getting you to come on and be a guest on the show. So I'm glad you finally made it. It was partially my fault because I, I requested this particular minute. So it's true. <laughs> but I mean, how could you not? This is so great. Good lead in into that. We are talking about minute 69 today, which starts off with Gaston singing me as he lights a bonfire via a torch throw and ends with the mob marching through the town singing. So this is this is the actual beginning of the mob song. We talked a little bit about it last time and there was a lot of build up to it, but now this is the beginning and we're we're getting into it guys. This is exciting. It looks like the artist had a ton of fun here, especially starting out with that throw right in your face of the torch. It's almost uh-huh. something you would expect to see in 3D. 
<laughs> it it really is. We we kind of talked about in the last minute we had Belle and she was showing us the or she was showing the the mob the magic mirror and it like blinded us as the viewers as well as the crowd with the light of it. And they kind of did the same thing here with the torch throw like it throws the torch in our face and like the whole screen is enveloped in in flames. And I didn't really think about that, but that is totally like if this was done now that'd be a 3D effect of the flame coming <laughs> at your head. <laughs> I'm gonna die. <laughs> and it's pretty much like the coolest way you can light a bonfire. Besides like a <laughs> gasoline trail. I mean, you're throwing a torch into uh, the, the stack of hay there. Pretty legit. I, I think it has not rained here in quite some time. That snow is not affecting this hay at all because that stuff goes <laughs> up like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, it's it's pretty flammable there. And one of my first notes is it's an awesome bonfire, but what's Philippe gonna eat now? I mean, <laughs> Poor Philippe. He's, he's pretty much toast. <laughs> he's had it rough throughout this whole movie. <laughs> yeah. He moves yeah. to the castle after this, though, and has that giant stable to himself, pretty much, so. That's true. That's true. He'll be all right. But he doesn't know that at this point. <laughs> <laughs> he's just watching his, his food go up in flames. He's like, man. <laughs> and then he sees his owners get locked up, and he's like, no one's going to feed me. <laughs> Just can't have nice things. <laughs> there is a giant field, though, that Belle was like singing her song. That'll be okay for at least yep. a few days. But it's got tons <laughs> of dandelions in it. Nobody wants to eat that. Well, and it's all covered in snow. <laughs> True. <laughs> it's been snowing since that scene. He was chomping on some grass when they first got back to the house, though, just a couple minutes ago. Yeah. He'll survive. He does survive. Horses do sure. tend to be fairly self-sufficient. <laughs> Which is good because uh, Maurice definitely doesn't help him out much in this movie. <laughs> I imagine this horse is used to taking care of himself with Maurice as an owner because Maurice is always working on his projects, probably loses track of time, never remembers to feed him. <laughs> well, even Belle, though, I mean, it seemed like Belle was the one kind of taking care of the animals more. But during the Belle reprise song, I mean, she like kicked the bucket of food and wasn't really paying much attention to the animals she was supposed to be caring for. Too busy reading books and getting knowledge and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So I think it says something here that instantly he begins terrifying everybody here. He's supposed to be the person that people look up to, but it does not take any time at all for them to be terrified of him with him telling this story. Yeah, he's definitely going uh, for the fear tactic here. He's kind of got like his little shadow puppet creepy show thing on the wall. And like you said, he's playing off of their fear. And the one thing that I hadn't realized until I was looking at this minute, like over and over again, is LeFou's pretty freaked out by by Gaston here. And, and I guess his narrative. And I always thought it was just because LeFou's a wuss. And you know, he's supposed to be like this goofy little guy, but he's screaming and running away from Gaston. And I just realized he's just playing the fool. I mean, he's doing his part but he's playing it up and acting scared i think to play on the emotions of the townspeople and get them more worked up and scared because right here i mean he's he's acting like he's really scared either that or he's the other part of a, an abusive relationship <laughs> well that he is as well but i, I think he's definitely playing up the, the fear in it yeah he's doing his part to make it more scary yeah because later on I mean, in this minute, he's going to be angry and all about going to storm the castle. And I don't think that's just that he found his courage. I think he's, you know, he knows what he's doing right now. He's he's playing to the crowd and trying to get people scared and riled up. Well, I feel like maybe Gaston is motivating the crowd as well. So he could, even though LeFou might be genuinely scared at the beginning, like towards 
going out of Belle's front yard into the village, he might be more motivated, pumped up by the song. I always kind of think of it like in the Seven Brides for Seven Brothers movie, Millie sings that going courting song and gets them all motivated to want to dance and stuff with girls. I feel like this is Gaston's going hunting kind of song. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to motivate these men to go go get Does he have to motivate? <laughs> Does he have to motivate LeFou every time they go hunting with songs? <laughs> <laughs> Probably. This is the, the normal song they use. Yeah. <laughs> Just change the word. It does say something else that these people are getting whipped into a frenzy. And they're the same people that we fell in love with at the beginning of the movie when they were singing the welcome song. You know, the bonjour, 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 mm-hmm. bonjour, bonjour. And now they're the same people that are becoming terrified and they're going to go do this horrific thing. Yeah. Everybody's shifting from what they started as in the, at the movie to something else. Everybody's kind of transforming throughout this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the things we mentioned last minute that I really like is they kind of try to put us into the mob. Like we're not just watching. We are in with the townspeople in the crowd watching things happening and they kind of try to help you feel what they're feeling so that we don't see them as, you know, like horrible people. They're they're just normal people and, you know, they're scared and that leads them to make some bad decisions, but they're not the villains here. They're just, you know, like you said, they're kind of get whipped into a frenzy, but we're also kind of part of that from the perspectives that we're looking at this. Yeah, they, they almost draw us in shoulders shoulder with the townsfolk yeah we're all in that mob mentality mode So true. So there's this part as LeFou's getting scared where he goes to hide behind the woman <laughs> and he uses her apron. And for some reason, she holds her apron down like that, like lifting her apron is going to expose something unbeknownst. <laughs> like there's no reason to hold your apron like that. If you were your dress, I could understand, you know, holding it down so it didn't come up. But why yeah. hold your apron down like that? She needs it to protect her. It's her yellow apron. What is that movie? The Village. The Village. <laughs> Where they've got to wear the yellow, the safe color. <laughs> That's her safe color. That's a good point. I've never even noticed her holding it down before. Maybe she's just trying to yank it away from him. Like, let go, you little man. Possibly. It's possible, but that, you know, it definitely looks like she's trying to hold it down. Yeah. And it's one of those things you see and you see, but you don't really think about it. <laughs> Until you go by minute by minute. <laughs> yeah. I love her bangs. Yeah, it looks like a bow on her head. Yeah. Those are, that's a, <laughs> I thought that was a bow. <laughs> <laughs> no, it looks like a potato bow, like two potatoes. <laughs> what you get for being colorblind <laughs> <laughs> wow bring it we're not holding back any shots are we <laughs> well he's actually the colorblind one he's making fun of himself yeah yeah i couldn't tell that it was hair so how'd you even know it was a yellow shirt <laughs> well I, i'm not like completely colorblind but if you had told me that that was like a red bow i'd be like okay cool <laughs> and even looking at that it's i don't even know if that's actually an apron or what because it also is like a cowl on her head as well. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's really odd. It's like a special made cape apron. Capron. <laughs> a capron. She's got her capron on. A capron. Let me see. What do we got here? What do we got? There's a moment where Gaston looks into the mirror and sees the beast. And the way it's angled, it may as well be his own reflection. And I thought that was kind of telling as to who the bad guy actually was. He's supposed to be talking about this evil creature when, in fact, he becomes the evil creature. Ooh. Deep, Thomas, deep. You have no idea. (laughs) In the immortal words of Falcor, I have no idea. (laughs) 
<laughs> Let me see. Oh, so I wanted to talk about when he talks about the drawbridge of the castle. First off, he uh, Lafu's hiding behind this lady's apron. Capron. <laughs> yeah, her her capron. And uh, Gaston really never misses a chance to smack Lafu in the face. Oh my gosh! Again, it, yes. It's like it, it's been a while. At the beginning of the movie, we had a lot of it, um, and it really has been a while since he had a good opportunity to smack LeFou in the face, but he gets one in here. And then, um, Carrie, did you have something about the castle? I feel like I was going off of yours. Oh, I was just thinking, like, he, he mentions the drawbridge of a castle, and how does he know either of these things? I think we touched on this in the last minute, but the only thing we've seen in the mirror that Gaston has seen is the beast's face. Yes, I have the same note. <laughs> <laughs> and he's talking about drawbridge of a castle. Like, why doesn't he think the beast is in the woods or something? Like a normal beast. Yeah, because nobody's mentioned that it's a castle. None of that. But for some reason, they know that they have to go storm a haunted castle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Because I, I have a note here and I was like, why did I think of that? <laughs> um, <laughs> so in the in the song, he says at the drawbridge of a castle. And so he's not saying of the castle or of like the beast's castle. And even though Gaston hasn't seen where the beast is, I think because Maurice, when he originally went for help, he was like, hey, he's got her locked in the dungeon. And there probably aren't very many places that have dungeons besides a castle. That mm. makes sense. So I'm either he's just inferring that there's a castle or maybe Gaston, when he was originally asking for help, was like, he's got her locked in the dungeon of his castle. Come help me find him and, and get her out. And so I think that's where the, the castle part comes. And then he just assumes there's a drawbridge as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's no drawbridge. He's just completely wrong there. Right. But uh, he knows where he's going when they leave uh, the cottage. So I don't know if at some point he must have been like, hey, you know, show me the way to the beast. And, and the magic mirror takes him there. Or he's hunted in these woods all his life. So he might know of the castle in some way. Except that isn't there a spell so that people don't remember it or something like that as well? I don't know. Ah, uh, that's in, I think that's in like the, the new movie or maybe okay. that's in the French version. But it never really talks about like people people not being able to find the castle or forgetting about it in this movie. But you would assume that that has to be part of the curse. Otherwise, why would these people not know that there's a castle right next to their village? Right. But if anyone's going to know where it is, like it would be Gaston because he's the one who goes out hunting all the time. Right. Yeah. So did you guys notice how I'm sh- maybe you've talked about this before, but I don't know. So I'll bring it up. LeFou's got some horrible bags underneath his eyes. I think mm-hmm. it's been a really long time since Gaston's let him sleep. Oh. <laughs> this poor yeah. guy. He was a snowman for the past weeks or months. <laughs> yeah, we, we don't know how long he was there, but uh, he was definitely a snowman for a while. He's not slept in quite a while. Well, and he's always had kind of a goofy face. And I think that was one of one of our saddest episodes. And it was towards the beginning. We theorized why his face, you know, why he is animated so different. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> it's sad, but uh, he's probably got through a lot of abuse and he definitely gets hit in the face a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and this poor yeah. guy's got teeth that are like eight times the size of Gaston's teeth. <laughs> <laughs> well, two of them are anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Big old gap teeth. Oh, he's got like four. Yeah. He's always getting his teeth knocked out. <laughs> so these are fake, you're saying? <laughs> Maybe. They do look like they're darker. They could be wooden. Wooden teeth, yep. Poor LeFou. It makes me so sad. <laughs> and Gaston's face as he's smacking him. Just like classic beast bully man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Big bully man. He's scaring little babies and stuff. Yeah. You see his little canines? He's got his fangs too. <laughs> yep. 
but they're in the back of his mouth for some reason. <laughs> well, and I like that uh, whenever he's talking about the beast's fangs and his killer claws and he looks in the mirror at the beast and the beast just like totally chill and sad looking. Yeah. He's like, doo, doo, doo. It's like mm, didn't pick the right moment to, to mention his claws and his killer fangs. Look how scary he is as he mopes and yeah. <laughs> that's like the, scary old, depressed beast. the old adage that you can't look tough when you're eating an ice cream cone. <laughs> you can't look tough when you're pouting either. I hadn't heard that. Oh yeah, uh, try to nice. try to look tough when you're eating an ice cream cone and licking it. <laughs> uh, that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a challenge for our listeners group. I want to see some pictures. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna have to do it too, Bobby. Date night. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I already set you up for ice cream. You can't complain. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, so he scares this baby, and then I have this note saying, this is the scariest game of Red Rover ever, as she tries to get past the crowd. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Belle on over. The fat guy with his shirt that doesn't fit very well, he's not happy about letting her through. Looks like he's gonna, I don't know, he looks really mad at her. She's just trying to get to the front. He's getting squanched. <laughs> and you have generic Maurice right next to him. Too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of has a Mrs. Potts face. <laughs> it's yeah. Maurice and Mrs. Potts together. I think it's foreshadowing that they're going to hook up. Hey. It's Mr. Potts. Dun, dun, dun. <gasps> Why would he look like his wife? That's, well, I guess <laughs> people are attracted to people who look like them. They've been together forever. Maybe it's her brother. There is that, yeah. Oh, oh like she, not like she's married to her brother, but that's just her brother. <laughs> I <Yeah>. got that. <laughs> I, don't, I hope not too many people went to the, the incest place there because that's not where we were at. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, guys. And on Belle's other side, she's got the broom guy. Yeah, I was like, why did this guy bring his broom? I have a lot of questions about why people brought what they brought here i mean some of them are understandable like you've got the shepherd guy the shepherd kid with his with his shepherd's crook and some people have like pitchforks and knives and you know they came to see a spectacle supposedly of maurice getting locked up and taken to an insane asylum but none of that requires weaponry (laughs) it's not like they're going to kill somebody at 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 Maurice's place, which is where they all thought they were going. They didn't yeah. even need the pitchforks, really. But Belle's house, Belle and Maurice's house, is a little bit away from the village, so you could run into, like, some wolves. We know those are out and about. Is that why you bring a, a pot as a helmet and a, a double-bladed <laughs> axe? <laughs> That's why you bring the broom, Thomas. The broom. The pitchfork. Obviously, you light the broom on fire, and that keeps the wolves away. Yeah. <laughs> I thought that's what torches were for, but I guess you might be right. <laughs> well, maybe maybe he's the cleanup crew for after they storm the castle. He's going to sweep up all the ashes. Well, they don't know they're going to the castle yet, though. Yeah. Uh, it's a multi-purpose tool. You can never go wrong with a broom. He's got to sweep the walkway so that nobody slips on it when they're uh, collecting Maurice. <laughs> well, you never know what a crazy person's going to do. He can make a mess. Get the snow out of here. <laughs> so I, <laughs> he says, if you're not with us, you're against us. And we all know that only Sith deal in absolutes. <laughs> so Gaston is Sith? <laughs> yes, he's a Sith Lord. <laughs> I feel like he can't be the Lord. He's got to be the apprentice because he, he wasn't like fully evil in the beginning. He, he's beginning progressively more evil. I, I would call LeFou the apprentice here. <laughs> no, no, no. It's uh, Monsieur Dark. He's he's the Sith <laughs> Lord. <laughs> I can see that, I suppose. He's definitely the more evil. But before he even says, if you're not with us, you're against us, Belle says, I won't let you do this. And I'm thinking, what are you going to do? She's really weak sauce, as we see in like, 
two seconds when they close the door and she tries to push it with her wrist. Like she does, she says, I won't let you do this. What's in her brain that she's going to do? She's well, I have no idea because with, <laughs> with one hand, he disarms her and, and makes it so that she can't do anything at all just by holding her wrist up in the air. She's already out of the picture. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, but she tries. I mean, it's kind of like the the same thing where uh, Maurice was like, Belle, and completely useless cry of warning or help. And they're just, they're not very, uh, not very good on their feet. They're not self-defense savvy. Yeah, their their action stinks. <laughs> they're they're very nice people, but not not good in a fight. <laughs> Intellectuals. The question is though, Belle held her own when she was fighting against the wolves. She picked up the stick and took on a pack of wolves. She needs the stick, that's why. But now she's like, eh, I can't do anything. And everybody's holding the sticks already. She has no access to sticks. <laughs> The crowd has grabbed all the sticks. Should have grabbed the broom. And then I like uh, I like when they throw them in the cellar. It sounds really painful when they throw Maurice in there. He obviously lands pretty hard. Oh, it's a good thing he's a cartoon because if he weren't, he would probably be dead. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he'd be dead. He's got a lot of padding and it's probably only like a, like a five or six foot drop down there. I'm guessing at least a compound fracture. <laughs> <laughs> it would definitely hurt. It sounds like it hurts. But then whenever he, whenever uh, Gaston throws Belle down there, it does not sound near as heavy. And she's not as heavy. But I'm guessing that she probably landed on Maurice and it kind of cushioned her fall. I don't think she went all the way down the stairs. I think she only went like two stairs down. Did so she kind of hop down? Yeah, where he went, he was thrown to the bottom of the cellar all the way. Mm. He hit no stairs on the way down. <laughs> yeah, because she's still pretty, pretty much right there in the frame. As she goes down. She honestly should have had her head hit with the doors coming down, probably. And then she's got a concussion and the whole story gets longer. And <laughs> Well, that just makes things too complicated because we have no idea how long this, this movie is supposed to be, like time frame anyway. We figure it's somewhere between like three days and several months. Right. It's obviously gone at least from spring to winter. Unless it was just part of the spell because it goes back to spring again, like at the end of the movie, which is in like a few hours. <laughs> oh. So it's, it's pretty tricky. Pretty tricky. Uh, so I love here... Uh, uh, helmet guy. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about this guy. <laughs> Mr. Johnny Appleseed at second 40. <laughs> why? First, why does he have his helmet? Again, they weren't coming here for a fight or to do anything, but he's, does he wear this all the time? Is this his, his accoutrement? I guess so. We're talking about the, the guy with the pan on his head, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just so everybody knows what we're talking about. I called it a helmet. I'm not, I'm <laughs> wrong. It's not a helmet. <laughs> yeah. There's a guy with a pan on his head. So I was like, well, is that like a Johnny Appleseed reference or something? And so I, I did some digging and it's not Johnny Appleseed because if this is the year we think it is, uh, 1782, Johnny Appleseed would have been like, eight years old and living in Massachusetts. <laughs> so definitely not Johnny Appleseed, but I did learn some interesting thing about Johnny Appleseed. He was a real person in case you didn't know that. I think his name was uh, John Chapman. And, you know, he lived in this time period-ish in the United States and he went around starting orchards and stuff. And I guess my earliest exposure to Johnny Appleseed was, I forget what it was, some cartoon. I think it was a Disney. Didn't Disney do a cartoon about him? Don't I know. don't know. I'm pretty sure they did. And I'm pretty sure that's where I saw him. And he like goes around planting trees and stuff. But apparently like the actual 
John Chapman, he went around and started orchards, but they were like a business thing that he'd go and he'd go to different areas and start up orchards. And the, the apples weren't actually apples that you could eat. They were for producing like hard cider and brandy and stuff. So like he just like went around and started a bunch of apple orchards to uh, make alcohol all over the place. He was a very ecologically minded person, but yeah, his, his apples were for, for making like liquor. So fun stuff. <laughs> The stuff that I found said that he did wear a tin hat and like he ate out of his tin hat, but I couldn't really find anything on tin hats. If you look up tin hat, you mostly find tin foil hats, which is not what we're looking for. Or like after World War One, tin hats were the helmets they wore, you know, like war helmets. And this was before that happened. So it must have just been like a like a hat made out of tin and he ate out of it. And that's where the whole pot thing came from. It wasn't actually a pot that he wore on his head, but uh but he did wear a tin hat. And so I think our, our man here is sporting some Johnny Appleseed. Sounds right to me. Was Johnny Appleseed from France? And this is his father? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I didn't look into that, but I'm pretty sure his, his family's from Massachusetts. I mean, obviously they came from somewhere. I remember when I was a kid... My family had this series of books that were about like courage and wisdom and stuff like that. And each one of them focused on one person in history. Mm-hmm. And there was one about Johnny Appleseed, and I can't remember what it was. It might have been like Perseverance or something like that. But there was one on like Marie Curie and one on um, just different people in history, Benjamin Franklin, and it all like had a moral to it. And I can't, I was trying to find it just now when you brought that up, but I can't seem to find it. But it was a great series of books. <laughs> I remember books like that as well. I feel like that might be something that's lost to the kids of this generation. Kids don't grow up with those like the moral of the story type of shows and books. But I remember books like that too with like uh, like George Washington Carver making peanut butter and stuff. And, and that all sounds really familiar. One of them was on the guy that passed year, Louis Pasteur. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Hold on one second. I found it. It's called The Set of Value Tale Books. <laughs> 11 volumes. Believing in Yourself with Louis Pasteur. Humor with Will Rogers. Learning with Marie Curie. Um, and Love for Johnny Appleseed. Love? love. Yeah. <laughs> Because he was spreading he love. He loved liquor? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, <laughs> sorry. That looks really familiar. That looks really familiar. Classic. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep. I know those books. <laughs> <laughs> now I need to buy them for my daughter. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Tangents. Get your torch. Mount your horse. <laughs> Screw your courage to the sticking place. Yeah. Which, uh, in case you didn't know, is a Shakespeare reference. Lady Macbeth. As far as I can tell, there is that like doesn't come from anything. It's just like a Shakespeare thing he wrote. Screw your courage to the sticking place. So I couldn't I couldn't find anything besides Shakespeare that that comes from. Screw your courage to the sticking place, and it basically just means stop being a wuss. Now the one thing I did find out about that is while it does come from Shakespeare, I love Hamilton the musical, and since we're mm-hmm. talking about a music moment here, I thought I'd bring up the fact that. Lin-Manuel Miranda actually quotes this in Hamilton for two reasons. One, because he's talking about Macbeth at the time, which is where this comes from. But secondly, Mm. because he absolutely loves this song. This is his favorite song from this movie. <laughs> so yeah, I think I read about that like a few weeks ago. I was like, "Oh, that's awesome." So that's why it's it's an important line, and and it's 
resonated with me. And now that I've heard it in Hamilton, that's probably why I requested this way back when, because I love it as well. Do you ever have like, uh, I feel a little guilty that this is one of my favorite songs of this movie because (laughs) (laughs) it's a mob song about going to kill the beast, but I love it. I think it's the one song where you can be like, you can be super masculine singing it like, and it, for as a child growing up that appealed to me and i think that's why it still kind of sticks with me because it's got that really manly kind of go and hunt yes go and hunt (laughs) no babe no (laughs) (laughs) that's what i hear okay Uh, (laughs) man song (laughs) i feel like it's kind of like in uh the lion king be prepared like that's another one it's got kind of the same vibe to it it's like oh I shouldn't love this song, but I do. (laughs) It's so funny that you say that because I listen to Pandora a lot with my daughter in the car and she's four years old. And those two songs, whenever they come on, she always asks me, Daddy, sing these songs. They're the toy songs. (laughs) Okay. The villain songs as well. Yeah, she wants me to be the villain. (laughs) That's just so she can beat me up later with her lightsaber. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say, she has to have someone to fight against if she's going to be the hero. Right. Didn't she dress up as a, like Ray for a Comic-Con or Halloween yeah. or something? Yeah, it, that was, was, awesome. it was Comic-Con. She did, she loved it too. And she got, she was so fantastic there. I was a little scared taking her there. Like, is she going to be okay with these crowds? But once she saw people dressed up, she was like, oh, I want to take my picture with them. I want to go with them. And it actually kind of brought a tear to my eye seeing how happy she was to be there. I'm like, my girl is a geek. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I saw the picture and I was like, that's so cool. Uh, I don't I don't know that we'd be able to do that with three of them, <laughs> but it looked like a lot of fun. So you can all just be Jedi Padawans. <laughs> Dress them all up as Ewoks, man. There you go. Make one a Yoda backpack. <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to talk about the horse a little bit. The demon horse, you mean? Yes, the demon horse. <laughs> am, am I wrong in that I feel like, like the red-eyed scary horse is in other things, but I couldn't figure out where? I don't know, but um, this terrified me when I watched it slow motion. <laughs> isn't there a red-eyed horse for Jafar in Aladdin? Is there? I feel like when he goes to the Cave of Wonders with the thief at the beginning, he has a red-eyed horse. Does he not? Jafar horse. Get the Google machine going. Uh, he has a horse. Does it have red eyes? Uh, No, no, no red eyes. It is a black horse. Ah, uh, so close. But I feel like that's definitely something that I've seen before is, you know, the red-eyed horse. And I tried to look it up, obviously, because that's what I do. And the only thing I could find about a red-eyed horse was that apparently at the Denver airport, there is a demon horse that's like super controversial. I think it's called like the Blue Mustang. It's a sculpture. It's like a 30-foot tall sculpture. And it has electronic eyes that glow red at night. Sounds like we'll have to take pictures of it at uh, Denver Minicon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's blue, but it has red eyes and its nicknames are Blucifer, Satan's Steed, the Blue Stallion of Death. And like I said, it's, it's pretty controversial because a lot of people are like, this thing is like creepy and freaky. And why do we have this at our airport? And other people are like, oh, this thing is awesome. And apparently Luis Jimenez the artist who made it, he died because a piece of the sculpture fell on his leg and severed an artery. Oh, jeez. And so it's like like this super like creepy stallion of death. And that was the only thing I could find for like a red-eyed horse. So interesting trivia. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's important to know that not only are his eyes red, but his nostrils are red as well. Yes. 
mm-hmm. and somehow lit from the inside. <laughs> I, I, I'm confused. His nostrils are more red than his mouth is. Uh, there's something evil going on with this horse. There's definitely something evil going on with the horse, which is like, where did, where did Gaston get the horse? <laughs> Maybe the horse is part of the... That's it? Okay, I got it. I got it. Okay, hook us up. So, he has his horse, and the curse takes over the horse, and that's how he gets to the castle. The horse is leading the way, because it's- Through the evil mirror. Through the evil mirror curse. And that's yep. how Belle got to the castle, through the horse. So, the only way, the only people that can find the castle are horses. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to have the two sides to it. You got Philippe the good horse and evil demon Gaston horse. Now, you mentioned the mirror here, and I meant to say something earlier. Sorry, when he's about to grab Belle's arm, when she says you can't do this. What is up with how the mirror just explodes with lightning for a while. Yeah, I'm not really sure. It feeds off of negative evil energy. We have a theory that the mirror is actually like the evil part of the curse. So you've got like the, the curse itself and then you have the rose, which is like the good part of the curse trying to help beast along. And then you've got the mirror, which is the evil part of the curse. And it's trying to like sabotage things and get beast to reflect on himself instead of focusing on like other people and so the mirror's basically just been going crazy since gaston got his hands on it and we think that's because it's like super excited and trying to trying to ruin things for beast i could go with that yeah and i just found a red-eyed horse what ichabod crane Ooh, yes good call ichabod the headless horseman's horse has red eyes and nostrils boom now i feel dumb I'm sorry, babe. <laughs> I was looking for like 20 minutes, literally. Did you search red-eyed Disney horses? I'm pretty sure I did. I don't remember. And I, I saw stuff about Ichabod, but like Ichabod's horse doesn't have red eyes. The headless horseman's horse. I, I knew there was another red-eyed horse. <laughs> there you go. So they move away from Belle's cabin and I don't remember her having to trail this far to get to town, but maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> they're quite, it looks like they're going off into the mountains, but they're actually going back into town before they yeah. go to the mountains. And you get the great line that says, um, you must be as tall as a mountain. <laughs> and all I can think of to myself was they must not have very tall mountains in France in 1782. <laughs> he's not that big. I mean, he's big, but he's not that big. Definitely not mountainous. They exaggerate a lot. They, they do. This is not the most accurate song. <laughs> and I kind of like, as they're leaving the cottage, the ones that are kind of following, I guess, leading the mob to follow Gaston, these are the, the same guys. These are like his, his, his tavern cronies. So we're familiar with them from being in the tavern and they're kind of, uh, yeah, I guess they're they're his cronies. They're the ones he always has with him. And so I think he kind of planted them in the mob to help get them riled up. And they're the ones that are like, we're counting on Gaston to lead the way. <laughs> and they start following after him. And they're, I mean, they're the more vicious looking ones out of the crowd. And they bring the rest of the mob along with them. So the more I think about this, the more I'm realizing that Gaston is really like this evil genius community organizer. And he knows how to get people riled up. And he knows how to push all the right buttons and get this mob mentality going so that he can get what he wants out of these people. I mean, he set this whole thing up and it didn't go as he planned. He's not getting married and Maurice isn't going to an insane asylum, but he saw an opportunity. He kind of let the fear build and then he literally threw some fire on that bonfire and lit that flame and, you know, made it explode. So he's Palpatine is what you're saying. (laughs) (laughs) 
he knows what he's doing. He's- <laughs> <laughs> Told you he's Sith Lord. <laughs> Uh, but yeah yeah the more i think about it the more the more i guess like i'm reluctant to say respect i have for Gaston, but he's got a lot going on in, in his head he knows yeah. what he's doing he's got skills yeah i was rather glad to see that they stopped through the town first because i was really wondering at first when i was watching the minute if they were going to drag that baby all the way to the castle <laughs> <laughs> but they, they luckily make a pit stop in town so she can at least drop off the baby if she's going yeah i feel like all the other women and children this is where they they leave and then all the normal people are the ones like hey what are you guys doing out there like at whatever hour of the night this is singing and marching and yelling and get the normal towns people just like what it's something that you don't see every day <laughs> the beast he's as tall as a mountain ah goodness it's such a good song yeah well that brings us to the end of the minute pretty much uh anybody have anything else they wanted to to talk about I think I've tapped my notes out. If I'm done with notes and I'm, I don't want to start singing, so we should probably wrap it up <laughs> soon before I force myself to. Oh, I'm already going to cut all the stuff you sang and just like put it in there all by itself. <laughs> <laughs> I actually recorded myself singing it earlier and I was like, maybe I should give this to Bobby. And I was like, no. <laughs> we could have some fun with that. We could definitely have some fun with that. If I remember right, I did get you singing on Never Ending Minute. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, Carrie, you didn't have anything else? Uh, yeah, I just had a couple of small notes. I don't even know if they're worth discussing, but I thought it was funny that, uh, Gaston insults the beast saying, hear him roar, see him foam, like rabies insults or something right there. Like you're not even fighting him face to face and you're already dissing the guy. And then my, my other note is that he's saying, say a prayer. I feel like that couldn't even go in kids movies nowadays because it's too religious. <laughs> <laughs> They'd have to make it more neutral. They probably yeah. would. I wonder if they did. Because I did they have this song in the new movie? Mm, yes, yes, they did. Uh, because when I looked up the lyrics, the ones that came up were for you and McGregor. Mm, yeah, I kind of want to go check and see, but I also kind of never want to have to do anything with that version of the movie again. <laughs> <laughs> They they tra- they stayed pretty true to this song. I feel like they added just a few phrases to this song, but I think Say a Prayer is still in there. Mm-hmm. I'm looking right now. Uh, yep, it is. The mob song with Ewan McGregor and Luke Evans. It does say Say a Prayer, then we're there at the Drawbridge Show Castle. And there's something okay. truly terrible inside. It's a beast. He's got fangs, razor sharp ones. Massive paws, killer claws for the feast. <laughs> Is it feast or feed? Because I always heard feed. Uh, the lyrics written out say feast. Are you looking at the you and one? Yeah. Uh, Richard might be different. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to tell. Yeah. Those are those are my last two little tidbits. All right. Well, that then wraps up another awesome minute of Beauty and the Beastly Minute. Thomas, thanks for being here with us to go through this. I don't even know. It's. I mean, this is the turning of the mob. This is a pivotal moment in the movie. And, uh, I appreciate you being here for it. I'm really glad that you let me have the minutes that I wanted, even though they were way at the end of the movie. I'm, <laughs> I'm good with that. These were This is exactly what I wanted, so I'm happy to be here. Awesome. 
Well, if anybody wants to talk to you or check out what you're doing, where can they find your podcast and where can they find you on the internet? Sure. If you're looking for me, you can check out The Wookie Lives on Twitter and Instagram. Just make sure you spell Wookie correctly. <laughs> and then if you want to know more about my podcast, you can go to Nev and Min on Twitter for the Never Ending Minute. And we have a Facebook page and group. And if you're looking for stuff on the X Minutes, we have... X Minutes podcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And I believe that's it. Awesome. And I definitely recommend you guys, if you haven't already, go check out those podcasts. I think a few times we've, we've put the X Minutes promo at the beginning of our episodes. So hopefully most of our listeners have at least heard of it, but go check it out. It's really good. <laughs> if you're looking for Never Any Minute, you really don't have to go very far. It's one tab down from the Beauty and Beastly Minute on GrowlerMedia.com. So it should be pretty easy yeah. for you guys to find <laughs> it. Hopefully you've seen that if you've been to our website. But if not, head over to GrowlerMedia.com. That's where you'll find all of the episodes of this podcast of Never Ending Minute and the other podcasts that we have there, including uh, the one that Carrie is on with me again, the LDS Dating Podcast. And if you want to find me and get a hold of me, just check out the bio page over there. It has links to all social medias as well as uh, Carrie's. Mm -hmm. I, I will also say a uh, shout out to Jarf over at Flash Gordon Minute, who's newly joined to the Growler Media family. Yes. Go, go oh, they're doing such a good well. job over there. <laughs> there's so many good podcasts. And if those aren't enough for you, head over to moviesbyminutes.com because there's like 80 other Movies by Minute podcasts <laughs> that you can go check out and dedicate your, your weekends to for months and months and months. Thank you to Duo Hansen for our music. We love you guys. Love your music. And thank you to Megan the Cartoonist for the podcast cover. And until next time, grab your device and subscribe. <laughs> Screw your courage to the sticking place. We're counting on you all to leave reviews. Ooh, nice. If you're not with us, you're against us. Only a set is an absolute. The bonjour, 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 bonjour. Red Rover, Red Rover, send Bell on over. But now she's like, I can't do anything. Tension, tension achieved. <laughs> We're counting on Gaston to lead the way. The beast, he's as tall as a mountain. It's a beast. He's got fangs, razor sharp ones. Massive paws, killer claws for the feast. We're married. We're one. I don't mind. <laughs> Let us out of your subscriptions. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Don't let them out. I'm keeping your bones.